Welcome to the Bedford First Assembly of God podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We'd love to hear what God is doing through this ministry. If you have a story to share, send us an email at connect at bedfordfirstag.org. Also, feel free to visit our website at bedfordfirstag.org. You can view the live stream of our services and find out more about our church. Thanks for listening. This morning, I want to conclude my series that I've entitled Build This House. We've been at it for a few weeks now. Um, This has been an opportunity for me to lay some groundwork, to lay a mental picture of where I believe we're headed, what we need as a church, where we're going to some degree. Um, So for those of you that maybe haven't been here, I'll do a a quick buzz through, but I would encourage you if you haven't, um, that uh, that you can go back and see those things online. Um, we do want to mention while while I'm starting this morning, the Dave and Nancy Childers and family are here. It's so good to see you guys, and uh, we welcome you back. You knew it was coming; it was going to happen. She's shaking, Nancy's shaking her head at me, but it's good to see you. You're always welcome in this place. Thanks for stopping by and seeing us. If you are a first-time guest this morning, I do want to say you're welcome. It's good to see you. I may not recognize all of you. I'm still new enough that I don't know who's meant to be here and who's not meant to be here, but it is good to see you all here with us this morning. It's good. We're glad and excited that you are here. I've entitled this series, Build This House, because I believe that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to build a house, and he used the illustration of the building of a house to give me some framework for the concepts and ideas that I was thinking about. So uh, the first week, uh, I said we must have the right blueprint. Jesus is our blueprint. We talked about how who Jesus was, what Jesus was, and how he becomes our blueprint for how we function in our character and nature as a church. Second week, I said, or really the second and third week, I talked about how we must embrace the process, the process of pre-work, the process of site work, and the build order of the building. You can't get those things out of order. You can't get them upside down. Otherwise, what you build doesn't last. So we must have the right process in place. I said something in those few weeks that I want to reiterate right now this morning, and that is, is that it's going to take some time to get the building process done. I'm excited about where we're going. I'm excited about what's happening, but if we don't lay the foundation properly, if we don't get the site work cleared, then everything we built on top of that is built on a, on a, on a faulty foundation. And so even as I talk this morning, I'm going to encourage you, we have to, to, to embrace the process And we are in the middle of the process. I expect my dream, my desire, my prayer is that by the end of the year that we have completed our process. So I want you to understand some of the timing. Now, we're not going to wait till the end of the year to get doing things. But I want you to understand as I see it, I don't want to rush this process because the foundation we lay in this year is what the Lord will build for the rest of the time here. And so we want to make sure we lay our foundation right. So I would encourage you to be excited, to be prayerful, but to be patient. Amen. Third thing we must have is the right tools. We must have the right tools. I talked about having a united presence, how our unity and presence in this place mattered. Having clear thinking, having purposeful service, having intentional excellence, having an empowered character, living sacrificially, and having genuine spirituality. These are the tools that we will build build with. Last week, I said we have to build with the right materials. 
authentic gratitude, abundant generosity, purposeful connection, intentional discipleship, creative outreach, and the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Those are the materials that we want to build our church out of. There's one final thing that I want to speak on today because there's one last thing that we need. I want to start with this picture. I love this picture. I think this picture is cool. It also makes my feet sweat when I look at it. So this is a picture of a group of guys having lunch in September of 1932. They were building the Rockefeller Center in New York City. In fact, if you look kind of above their heads, you can see Central Park behind them. Now, this was definitely staged, okay? So this is not where they lunched every day. But they were wanting, the newspaper was wanting to do a story about the, 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 the interesting nature of this build. They had multi-ethnic, multicultural. Back in the 1930s, the, the out group was, um, was Irish people. So there was Irish people there. There was Italian people there. There was Native American people there. And then all over the building, I saw numbers as, as low as 40,000 and as high hundred, two 200,000 people that they employed. And it was a big deal because it was just on the back of the Depression. And so there, there was not a lot going on. They were trying to get out of it. And so this became a symbol of how we're going to work our way out of the depression. And I looked at this picture and I love this picture because you can see clearly how high these men are sitting. They said this was 850 feet in the air. Now, if my memory is correct, and, and Pastor Dot, I, I saw you somewhere, you can maybe correct me. This ceiling is what, plus minus 35, is that right? Plus minus. So imagine 850 feet, even if it's 50 feet. 850 feet's a long way up. If you fall off of that, you're not bouncing. Right, so, so these guys are upper, and even if it's a staged picture, they still had to slide out there, and they still had to sit there. What's remarkable about this to me is the significance of what these people did together. Their togetherness produced the construction of something that lasted beyond their own lives. None of these men are alive anymore, at least that I could find. So what they did together was more significant than what they could have done individually. And what they did together lasted longer than they lasted. See, if we're going to build this church, if we're going to build this house, we have got to have the right people. See, you can have all of the stuff. You can have the land. You can have the materials. You can have the tools. But if you don't have people, it doesn't matter. If we're going to build out of this place what God wants to build out of it, we have got to have the right people doing the right things at the right time in the right way. They did something together that none of them could have done individually. They built a skyscraper that still stands today. You can go see it. You can go walk through it. It's one of the most famous landmarks in New York City, the Rockefeller Center. They did something together that none of them could have done individually. And what they did has lasted beyond them. I want to take you to two pieces of scripture this morning. And I want you to put your finger in both of them because we're going to bounce between them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, and Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 13. Go to 1 Peter first, but these are the two pieces of Scripture that we're going to bounce between because they talk about a few things that I want to draw out for us this morning as we talk about the right kind of people. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. 
The end of all things is at hand. So we're starting on a high note, so that's good. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 12. I'll begin reading in verse 3. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we through many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhorting, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I want to take from these two verses and a couple others some thoughts on the kind of people that we need in this church if we're going to build this house. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your present spirit. We recognize that you are here with us this morning. I ask that you would anoint my lips, Lord, that I could convey to your church your message this morning. Lord, let your message fall into the fertile soil of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would uh, help me to speak in step with your will and that it would be anointed accordingly. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I see in 1 Peter, I want to begin there because there's a couple things I want to pull out. The first thing he says in 1 Peter is that we must be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Each of us is called to be people who love each other earnestly. That word earnestly means sincerely. It means honestly. It doesn't mean that, 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 that you have to, to, to do anything other than be sincere and be honest in your love for one another. One of the greatest challenges to a church is a church of people who speak about love insincerely. We love you, but then we crush you. We love you, but then we pick out all your faults and magnify them. Love sincerely, love earnestly. We, all of us, each one of us, need to be people who love earnestly. It says that we must show hospitality. Some of us said yes. Some of us said, I don't want to show hospitality. It basically means be nice to people. That's what it means. I mean, technically it means invite people into your home. But, but look, there's some of you that we, we don't want you to invite anyone to. No, I'm, I'm kidding. What it does mean is when we look at people, we have as a mindset that I want to bless them. I want to be prepared for them. You've heard me say many times, when people walk into this church, I want them to believe that we have prepared for them. I want them to believe, just as if I was going over to somebody's house, I, will, I want to walk in. I want to. That sounds really prideful. I, 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 if someone's coming to my house, let me phrase it this way. You better believe Amy Stubbs is getting that house ready. 
I don't know if you've ever watched a video. If I had half a brain, I would have shown it this morning. The video where this guy is running around this house and he's yelling and vacuuming children and he's telling them, I want there to be no signs of life in this house. I'm not saying that is or is not, Amy. She, he also says, I want this to look like an Asian fusion restaurant by noon. He's vacuuming and yelling and we may or may not have had similar experiences. When you come to our house, Amy Stubbs is going to have our house ready. We are prepared for those that we invite over. I want us to be the same way. That's what it means to show hospitality. I like what it says in, in, in 1 Peter. He says, each, in verse 10, each has received a gift. All of us have been given gifts. Not one of us has been left out. You may not know what your gift is yet, but each one of you has a gift given by God to be used in the building of his kingdom. No one has been left out. And so we need to believe that each of us has a gift. Your gift is for service, it says. He says, each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. That gift is not just for yourself. It is for others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and it describes them, and it says a variety of gifts, a variety of service, a variety of activities, but they're all the same God. So we don't all have the same thing, but it says in verse 12 that it's for the common good. When God gives gifts, it's not just for you. It is for the good of the church. So when you withhold your gift from the church, you're actually withholding blessing from the church. It's getting quiet in here. When you withhold your gift from the church, you withhold God's full blessing for the church. Now, if you don't know what your gift is, that's great. We can help you. We can help you understand. We can help you see. We can help you grow into. We can help you. I recognize that seasons of life, things change. You don't always do the same job for your entire existence in church. There are moments and seasons of everything, and I get that. I understand that. But to, to suggest that there is a season where God's called me to do nothing in the church is wrong. God's called you to use your gift to bless. He, he tells us in both passages to think clearly, to think soberly. Remember, we talked about that last week. That word sober doesn't simply mean just not drunk. It means that you are clear in your thinking and sharp in your thinking. Romans 12 says that we are one body individually. He says, for as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. One of the things I've observed in church is that we love to elevate certain positions over other positions, and then we want to breed jealousy. I have never had anyone come into my office Ever, anywhere, Africa, here, this is a human condition, and say to me, Pastor Stubbs, I demand that you let me mop the floors. God has called me from heaven above to mop the floors. Never had it happen. Pastor, God has spoken to me, and I must vacuum the pews. I have had people come for other ministries. And when... When I was leading praise and worship, that's the most obvious one, the easiest one to pick on. People come in and say, God's called me to lead praise and worship. I'm all right, no, give me a song. Oh, no, I can't sing in public. And the, or they do sing, and you're like, that's great. You make a joyful noise to, noise to the Lord. We're not going to use you on the stage. 
See, what Paul's trying to combat here is jealousy in the church. This is what he's trying to combat here because we're human and we're fallen and we're sinful and sometimes we want other people's jobs. I don't want to do this job, Jesus. I'd like to do another job. Thank you very much. The reality is jealousy happens when we improperly compare ourselves with somebody else. Your job is not to compare yourself with somebody else. Your job is to compare yourself to the gifting and the job that Jesus has called you to. Are you faithful in doing what he's called you to do? Not what anybody else has been called to do. Jealousy happens when we get into the comparison game. Ladies, Amy talked about that on Tuesday, didn't she? Satan loves to get us in the comparison game because he will always compare us against somebody that's better than us. You ever notice that? Satan never entices you to compare yourself against somebody who's worse than you because he wants to put you down. He wants to beat you up. He wants to crush you. He wants to destroy you. Comparison is the root of jealousy. Jealousy happens when we improperly perceive our own giftings and callings. I really believe that God has called me to preach and Pastor Chris is dumb. He should leave. We get into a jealousy game when we improperly perceive our own calling. I love Pastor Dodd. One of the reasons I love Pastor Dodd is because he has no desire to stand behind this pulpit and fill my position. Did you notice that? He couldn't stop talking about us. It's a little embarrassing, frankly. But it's important you know where you're called to be because then you're free to promote the person that is called. I want you to know, Amy and I know that we know that we know that God has called us to be your pastors for this season. We know it. And because of that, I'm not jealous of anybody else. I love when Pastor Dodd preaches. I think he's a fantastic preacher. And I'm 0% jealous because he and I both know where our callings lie. And when we get jealous, it's because we believe we are called to do something that the door hasn't opened for. And I want to encourage you. God sometimes gives you. David didn't go straight from the field to the throne. David had to walk through a process. God may have a calling on your life, but just because he has a calling doesn't mean that now is the moment for that calling to be fulfilled. Jealousy happens when we don't perceive our calling. My calling may be to be in the nursery. My calling may be to be with kids. My calling may be to be with adults. My calling may be to be to sweep floors. I don't know what the calling is, but jealousy happens when we improperly perceive our own gifts and our own calling. Jealousy happens when we improperly elevate certain ministries in the church. Jealousy happens when we improperly elevate ministries in the church. There are a lot of people who are serving right now that we don't see. There's a lot of people serving. There's been people serving all morning long that we don't see and notice. Do you know that people decide whether they like a church within the first two minutes of arriving at church? Statistically, they say people form a base opinion about a church within the first two minutes of when they walk in. What does that tell you? That tells you this morning that they saw Beth Covey and Linda Miller... And that's about it. Ian, they saw Ian. <laughs> Who? Misty Brock. Oh, she was on the other side. I'm sorry. Karen Tinger. Those four people are people had about two minutes to get engaged with. They got into their parking lot. They found a parking space, which hopefully was easy. 
They may not even made it to the doors yet in two minutes. People decide whether they like this place or not based on, so that's the foundation, the first two minutes. So those people who are serving in our foyers, those people who are serving in our nursery, those people who are serving in our children's church, those people who are serving as ushers, all of those people are who they meet before they ever get to the praise team or before they ever get to me. Praise Jesus. I watch those four people. I watch them shake hands and love people and talk to people. Fantastic. Beth Covey, you are exactly where Jesus wants you to be. See, we want to find where God has called us to be because there is no reason to believe that my job is more important than our job collectively. Because if we're going to build that, it can't be done by ourselves. I used to tell our Bible college students all the time, if you want God to build out of your ministry a shack, you need no foundation. But if you want God to build out of your ministry a strong tower, you must have a deep foundation. We're going to take some time digging our foundation because I don't want to build out of this house a shack. I want to build out of this house a strong tower that outlives all of us. That's what I want. So don't be afraid of this process. We're doing the groundwork, doing the site work, we're doing the building work, we're following the process. We are all one body. We cannot do this by ourselves. And more importantly, we don't want to. I have zero desire to do that. I will kill myself. If I got to be the greeter and the usher and the praise team, and the children's worker, and the nursery worker, and the preacher, if i got to do it all, I will die quickly. And I won't do it well. The reality is, is that we are one body with many gifts. Each of us need to love. Each of us need to show hospitality. Each of us have a gift. Each of us need to serve. Each of us need to think clearly. Each of us need to understand we're all an important part of this body of believers. Each of us. Because we can do together what we could never do individually. And it will last long beyond us if we build this way. So each of us have a responsibility. Second thing, and I'm going to move through the next two things quickly, although they're sermons unto themselves. God gives people who are gifts to the church. This is found in Ephesians 4. We're not going to go there this morning. It, it lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teacher. The purpose of those five positions are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Again, yes, there are leadership positions given, but their job is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. My job biblically is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's my job. My job is not to do the ministry all by myself. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry and, and, and to bring the church to a place of maturity. We talked about some of that last week. We need people that are going to be gifts to the church that function in the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Third thing, we need people who are going to work in the gifts of the spirits. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, talks to us about the gifts of the Spirit. And I mentioned it earlier, there's a variety of gifts but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit 
Four, the God is appointed in the church first, and then he lists them, apostles, prophets, whatever. This, there's a secondary list in Corinthians, gifts of knowledge or revelation, which are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Gifts of power, which are faith, healing, and working of miracles. And gifts of inspiration or speaking, which is prophecy, tongues, and tongues and interpretation. We heard tongues and interpretation this morning. We know about tongues and interpretation in a corporate setting in part because of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Spirit gives people with the gifts of the Spirit to bless the church, to bless the congregation, to stir, to encourage, and to release. We need people who will be gifts to the church in the terms of raising the church to maturity. We need people who will be gifts to the church by using the gifts of the Spirit that they have been given. The last one that I want to talk about this morning is the gifts of grace. It's often referred to, and this is in Romans 12. It's where I had you turn, and I want to touch base on each of these quickly this morning. Verse 6 of Romans chapter 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion with your faith. Prophecy in an Old Testament context is those people who bring messages from God. We hear the word prophecy and it weirds us out. Prophecy is simply, I have a message from God. So we need men and women who are going to hear the voice of God to give messages, not necessarily in the context of church. I believe God wants to speak prophetically in our daily lives, in every place that he walked, that God wants to speak messages to us for other people. I believe the highest use of, of these gifts of the Spirit and of these things is not on Sunday morning. We love it on Sunday morning. We're encouraged by it on Sunday morning. But I want testimonies of God giving you messages for people outside of Sunday morning. There's so many more hours than an hour and a half, two hours, on Sunday morning. That is not the pinnacle of the use of the Spirit. Prophecy usually is a message of correction, a message of comfort, or a message of revelation. And occasionally that revelation is about what future events are to be. But when we talk about prophecy, Old Testament, biblically-based prophecy, it's a word of correction, it's a word of comfort, or it's a word of revelation. I want those things. I want to walk around with those things. I want to speak to people with those things. I think we have a too narrow a definition of what is prophecy. Second thing he says is if a serving, then serve. This word service means to execute the commands of a master. It implies caring for the church. This word is what's used for our modern word deacon, and it speaks of overseeing the resources of the house and the distribution and use of those resources. So when we talk about serving here, we're talking about executing what the master tells us to do, and we're talking about utilizing the resources of the house to, to fulfill the commands of the master. The master says, I want to have dinner. The servant goes and finds the resources, both a, a decoration of food, of cooking, of cleaning, finds the resources, both physical and human, to then make and fulfill the, the command of the master. That's what we want to be about. We want to be about hearing the commands of our master and then utilizing our resources to fulfill his commands to us. So he says, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, this is straightforward. It's the practice of instruction. Some of us have been called to be teachers. Some of us have been called to serve. I think almost all of us have been called to serve. Some of us have been called to operate in the realm of prophecy. 
The next one he mentions here is this word exhorting. We don't use that word very often anymore, do we? Except in, in church at times we get real spiritual and say, Father, exhort us. But we don't really know what that means. It literally means to comfort somebody. That's what exhorting means. It means to comfort, to, to come alongside of, it, 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 it encourage. It's that same root word that I talked about last week that is the root of the Holy Spirit. It means to call somebody close to your side. You can't really comfort somebody at a distance or it doesn't work as effectively. You can write them, but the best comfort comes next to somebody. We have people that have been blessed by God with the gift of comforting. Come close. Contributing. God has blessed some of us. I would argue that as a nation, we have been blessed financially. God has blessed you. Maybe you are struggling at the moment. I'm not talking about every single one of us, but we have been blessed financially. We have access to things that people around the world just straight don't have access. I know some of them by name. They don't. They just don't. There's no way. You talk about giving of finances, and they're like, there's no shot. But we have been blessed. We have been blessed to be a blessing. So I would, I would suggest if God has blessed you financially, that's what this is, means, contributing, giving. If you've been blessed in any way to give, then we have been called to give. We need men and women who are going to be givers. He says, the one who leads with zeal. I'm fulfilling that. This word lead means to rule, to maintain, to be over, to set in place, to superintend, to guard and protect, to aid, and to give attention to. When we lead, as I lead this church, it is my job. Now, rule sounds funny. I don't like that word, but that's part of what it means. I have spiritual authority when it comes to this church, and I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that casually, and I best am sure I'm not going to abuse that. But there is spiritual authority in this house that's given to me as the pastor of the house to be used under the fear and trembling of Jesus Christ because he says, I will be judged more harshly than anyone else here. Terrifies me. I'm to maintain. I'm time to be over. I'm to set in place. I'm to superintend. I love that word superintend. That word superintend means to oversee the entire process. A superintendent of schools is meant to oversee everything about every part and portion of a school. I want to be someone who superintends, but I want you to know I'm not the only person in this church who can lead. Heidi Haverly is doing a great job leading our youth. Bobby Haverly is doing a great job leading children. Um, I'm trying to think. Chris Allen is doing a great job leading things. Greg Taylor is doing a great job. Vicki Lewis is doing a great job leading things. I know I'm forgetting people. There are others than me that are called to lead underneath me. And I believe if we're going to go where God wants us to go, then we have to find those who've been gifted with leadership, raise them, train them, prepare them, and release them to lead. Not in isolation, but hand in hand, so that we can do together what we could never do individually. There are some of you sitting here today that have leadership on your life, and I want you to know I'm coming for you. I mean that in all of the most loving and kind and generous way, but some of you have leadership and you don't even know it yet. I really want to call out some names right now. I'm not going to because that's not cool. But I want you to know I'm coming because I want to build out of this place something so incredible that nobody thinks Pastor Chris did it because they know there's no way he could have done it by himself. I want to build something that lasts long after I am with Jesus.
which I hope is not for some time now. Thank you very much. A leader is someone who's tasked with the responsibility to be over something. Cindy Dorset, I missed your name. You're sitting too close to the front. I see you. The last one, all of mine were ing words. So I just made up another ing word because it looked good. It's acts of mercy, but I'm calling it mercying. Being compassionate to those who are in need of help or assistance or whom are helpless. That's what mercy is. We're helping those who are in need of help or assistance. We have a room just over here of people who are in need of assistance. We have a room back there with a group of people who need assistance. We have people that walk into this place who are mature in age, but they're in need of some spiritual assistance. I want us to be a place where recognizes the gift of mercy and that we can recognize, hey, you need assistance, and I'm going to come alongside of you and give you the assistance you need. Whether that's, whether that's in age, whether that's in mentality, whether that's spirituality, I don't care. I want us to be merciful. I want us to be full of acts of mercy. I want you to go back with me to 1 Peter. I'm going to ask the praise team to make their way up here. One Peter, first Peter, sorry, a little South African coming out there. First Peter, chapter four. I want you to see what this says here. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As God's stewards of God's as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's a great term. We don't all have the same grace, but we need every grace that's here. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I love the way he summarizes everything else that we talk about. Whether it's gifts of, of grace, whether it's gifts to the church, whether it's gifts of spirit, doesn't matter. They're either gifts of speaking or they're gifts of service. I want us to be a church that is full of people who know their gifts, who have been prepared to operate in their gifts, and who are released into their gifts. I started this morning by saying each of us is given a gift. Each of us is called to use that gift. The question I have for you this morning is are you available? I asked the praise team to sing that new song this morning because it gets to the absolute heart. We're going to keep singing it because it gets to the absolute heart of the kind of people that we need to be. God, I bring my gifts. I bring my talents. I bring my strengths. I bring my weaknesses. I bring my hopes. I bring my dreams. I bring the gifts that you have given to me. And I say, Father, I am available. Here I am. I know what time it is. But I believe Jesus needs to do a little bit of work this morning. So if you will give me a few minutes. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I'm going to ask the praise team to begin worshiping.
My question to you is, are you available to use your gifts for your king so that we can do together what we could never do individually and so that we can build a house that will stand long after we are gone. It's a real simple question. Are you available? Now, it's easy for us to answer that in the quietness of our seats. But I want to challenge you. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite all of us to stand, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to challenge you to get out of your seat, to come down to this front. There's nothing especially sacred about the wood and the concrete and the carpet here. But what it represents is a place of offering to Jesus. We refer to it as the altar many times. It's because it's a place we bring ourselves of living sacrifices to Jesus. And I would challenge you, if you would say to Jesus, yes, I am available, to find a place up here at this altar and spend a little time in prayer to him, saying, Father, I give myself to you. Because as much as I want this for our church, I cannot do it by myself. It's going to take all of us. So won't you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, we're going we're gonna to respond to the Lord. I want you to respond to my question, are you available? I want you to answer. And if you're daring enough, I would challenge you, come down here and find a place of prayer and give yourself to Jesus. Father, I've said the words you told me to say. We need a church that each one of us knows our jobs. We need a church that has been gifted by the gifts to the church, a church that has been gifted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and a church that is gifted by the gifts of grace. Father, this morning, for the next few moments, help us to answer the question, am I available? Father, we want to turn this into a place of prayer and of worship and of commitment to you. Move upon every heart and every life, I pray. In Jesus' name. Father, we worship you, Jesus. Father, we praise your mighty name this morning.
I'm going to pray. And if you don't feel like you need to be down here or you're just enjoying God's presence, I want to encourage you to stay as long as you need to. There's really no other place that you need to run off to if you haven't finished your business with Jesus. But I'm going to pray. If you are finished with your business with Jesus, you're welcome to go. You're also welcome to stay. I would ask that if you're going to talk, please do so outside so that those people that are in here can finish their business with Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you choose each one of us. I thank you that you gift each one of us. Lord, your word says that each of us has something to offer you in your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would help us to unearth, to refine, and then be released into what it is that you have for us. Father, I pray that each one that's here in the sound of my voice, Lord, would be captivated by the thought that you have purpose for them, that you have gifts for them, and that you have a role for them to play in your kingdom. Father, for that one that maybe doesn't know you, would you introduce yourself to them, that they would come to the saving knowledge of who you are, Father, I pray for each one of us that have come as we wait in your presence, as we worship you. Father, will you speak deep places? Will you confirm? Lord, and then help us to walk in what you have for us. Father, as we all eventually go from this place today, Father, help us to walk in encouragement and strength because we have met and we have been filled up by your Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name.